Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the penultimate, the greatest generation, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm the penultimate Adam Pranica. <laughs> I thought we should take this Marin, perhaps to talk a little bit about where things are headed for us. Good thinking. Does that sound like a, a reasonable course of action to you? Yeah, I think so. It's, it's good to have an idea of where we're going instead of yeah. just driving this podcast car around. <laughs> well, we we kind of designed this show to be like timeless. We want people to be able to listen to an episode whenever and have it be fun to listen to. But this is happening right before the end of TNG for us, so I feel like we should I feel like we should uh, divulge our plans going forward. Right, I to, mean... To, to the extent that we have them. To the extent that they haven't already been divulged. Because a lot is going on. Like, this... The, uh, the next episode that comes out comes out the day that I move to California, which is... <laughs> you haven't a, rescheduled that yet? Such a crazy coincidence. <laughs> God, talk about uh, ending one thing and then beginning another, like, on the day. Day and date, and that's the last episode of TNG. I think we're going to do one episode the following Monday that will be us like looking back at TNG and looking back at this series. Journeys and the Saga of the Greatest Generation podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, rinse, repeat the, the Saga of the Greatest Generation podcast. Yeah. Maybe we'll um, talk about our highlights and lowlights. Yeah. Our favorite might, and least favorite eps. I don't know. We might even get it together to discuss what is on our respective mountains. That'd be a great idea. I feel like that'd be kind of cool. Undo uh, all the mountain work we've done up until then by making yeah. completely different decisions. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like us. Oh, did you see Adam? He's done, he's done a lot of mountain work lately. He's looking good. <laughs> looking tight. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, but savvy listeners may have noticed I didn't say anything about that Wednesday. Uh, we are going to go to a one-a-week schedule following the end of our TNG run. Yeah, and I think that is both a responsible choice for our for our sanity, but also a good <laughs> choice if you enjoy our work, because I think by going to a one- one DS9 a week schedule, uh, it will allow us to branch out into other podcast projects, uh, p yeah. projects that you and I have both discussed and actually worked on behind the scenes uh, in the months up until now. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the, the cat will have been out of the bag by the time people hear this, that the greatest discovery is MaximumFun.org's newest podcast they're embarrassed to have. And yeah. uh, that's... That's going to be a limited run, but we've got a lot of big ideas. And, you know, this show, more than most podcasts of the of the kind that it is, just takes a ton of time and energy to produce. And I think we're both really proud of the unbroken two-a-week 
schedule that we did for TNG, but it's just not sustainable for us in the long run. And if we want to keep producing something that is as high spec as what we've been producing, I think, uh, I think it's gotta be one a week going forward. And I hope, uh, I hope the listeners will, <laughs> will be cool about it. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, I think they will be, I think oddly enough, this has been something that some viewers have actually asked for. They're like, <laughs> you guys can pump the brakes a little bit, both for the sanity of the hosts, but also, uh, I don't know if you feel this at all, Ben, but I definitely have a podcast subscription stress that is sort of like uh, related to inbox stress for email, you know, like when you get so many piled up, uh, you you feel this this obligation to uh, to crash through them like it becomes a, a task based thing instead of a thing you do for enjoyment. And that's not a position we want to put anyone in either. Right. Um, I mean, personally, I've never had any podcast inbox stress. I just listen to all the podcasts. Yeah. Every single podcast. You're a machine, though, in a way that I am not. <laughs> yeah. I I kind of wonder if, it, if that's going to change for me when I move to California and I don't have as much walking around time as I do yeah. in New York. I yeah, know. I think... The bottom line is I'm really excited to start a new show with you, Ben. I am I'm just as excited to uh, change the schedule for our show a slight bit, keeping in mind that we will still be doing two shows for a good yeah. portion of the coming months. But outside of that, like I think when you have when your hosts are fresh and energized, I think it can mean nothing but good stuff down the road. So I think this yeah. is a good thing for sure. And I'm really excited about Deep Space Nine. Like the uh, the prospect of getting to kind of <laughs> to, to kind of shake the etch a sketch a little bit. Like I think a lot of our a lot of our favorite stuff will will come with us into the new show. But I feel like it'll inspire a whole new slate of dumb greatest gen bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I mean one of the. One of the bits that might not come along with us is that part of the show where you ask me if I remember the episode, because I <laughs> I remember so very little of Deep Space Nine at all. This is going to feel like brand new Trek to me, which I think is going to be good. Fresh yeah. eyes, etc. Well, well, speaking of Deep Space Nine, Adam, the episode we watched today, I feel like has a ton of Deep Space Nine DNA in it, and is kind of, in an interesting way some of the best that Deep Space Nine ever had and also some of the best that uh, Next Generation ever had. Yeah, it really... They really snuck this one in before the finish line of this show, and I think it's one of the great episodes, Ben. It's uh, it's Season 7, Episode 24, Preemptive Strike. So they are on a Cardassian DMZ trip, and uh, they have a little a little party in Ten Forward, Adam, for a character we haven't seen in quite a while. The return of newly minted Lieutenant Rowe. Strides into Ten Forward uh, with. Wow, her that was an pick. extra long row drop, wasn't it, Adam? <laughs> Really milked the uh, amount of road drop we got out of that. Yeah. Well, lieutenant, you know. Yeah. 
you know, like uh, a lot like Worf, maybe does not enjoy a party in her honor. <laughs> no matter what the cake, she's not into it. No the, one got her any gifts, though, the way that they got Worf a gift. But yeah. I, but I suppose that was a birthday celebration, and this is like a congrats on the promotion party. My wife and I discussed, like, oh, should we have, like, a going away party? And then we were like, you know, by the time we invite everybody that would probably be, like, on the realistic list, like, there will be too many people to have any meaningful interactions with any one or two people. It's the wedding reception problem. It's the wedding reception problem. And this, like, hits Roe like a ton of bricks. She walks in and, like, Jordy is up her ass, Troy is up her ass, the doctor is up her ass and she's like looking around the room and she's like give me a break and then she sees Picard just walk out without acknowledging her presence Beverly's up her ass to the degree that she goes in for a kiss I I think Roe turned away at the last minute so that it wasn't on the mouth (laughs) yeah that's how that's how Beverly greets pretty much everybody yeah, it's really that, weird when you go to sick bay and you're like, I've got a cult. Oh, jeez, oh, whoa! <laughs> it's okay. I've kissed everyone. I, I, my body is full of antibodies. There's no is way. Is it I'm any wonder it. that diseases spread around this ship at the rate that they do? <laughs> if Beverly hadn't been acid faced by Worf, would she have turned into every possible uh, alien creature? <laughs> Like, by virtue of her kissing? Probably. (laughs) Yeah, probably. This is one of the great fake-outs, though, because Roe sees Picard leave the party, and you think it's going to be like, ah, Picard's not even going to do this party. That was ice cold. Yeah, calls her up to the bridge. What are you planning to do? Lieutenant Roe. Go ahead, sir. Please report to the bridge. And it turns out it's a sneak attack. It's a sneak attack for Picard Hangs, who... Picard's out in the hallway outside of 10 Forward and it's like, hey, buddy, looks like you weren't really enjoying that party. Why don't we have solo hangs out here? Yeah, out here in the hallway where anybody can go. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Picard, by virtue of his exposition, sort of says where Rose been. She's been in a kind of Starfleet Special Forces training. Yeah, she's been uh, she's been learning special weapons and tactics. Yeah, it might be one of the reasons why she's walking around with sort of a cowboy walk in and, in and out of 10 forward. She looks a little sore. Picard does a little light sexual harassment here. Yeah. <laughs> kind, of a, kind of not a great note for his character to go out on. Oh, you look very fit. All that exercise in that program you've been in really agrees with you. Very fuckable. Nice. Yeah, I, I don't know, Jean-Luc. Maybe uh, maybe keep your mouth off of her appearance. That might be yeah. a good thing for you. As a, as as a boss. <laughs> yeah. Picard, as a character, is someone to watch out for this episode because this is a Patrick Stewart-directed episode. One might assume a relative lack of screen time for him. What Picard does get on screen... Uh, really counts, I think. Yeah, it's uh, uh, he gets he gets some of the best scenes in the app. Yeah, um, yeah. Which uh, not easy, you know. Like when you are like running back over to to check the monitors or to like sort out a camera move or something. Uh, hard to like 
I mean, you hear about actors that like go into character and stay in character for the duration of the movie. Right. You know, your I drink your milkshakes and whatnot. <laughs> like those people are never going to direct something that they are also acting in. But just like having your attention divided in that way is almost unbelievable that that ever happens. Michelle Forbes gets fairly little to play with in maybe the first quarter of this episode, but as she always does, she does so much with what she's got. She's such an eyes and body actor that uh, I just find her work great. I just love her. Yeah. Um. So so they get kind of interrupted in their uh, in their catching up with each other by Riker on the bridge who calls them up and uh, they're picking up on long long range sensors an attack on a Cardassian ship and I guess I guess they have a distress call and they bust out to uh, go provide aid and what they find out when they get there is that the ships attacking the Cardassian ship are Federation vessels they're the Maquis. Maquis? This idea of starship guerrilla warfare, I think, is really interesting to me. Because that's how the Maquis fight. They got these little tiny ships, and they just harass the bigger ships. Yeah, they're kind of uh, rebels attacking the Death Star. It. Yeah. Well, the Empire doesn't consider a small one-man fighter to be any threat. This is by far the most complicated model special effects sequence this show ever did uh, unless there's something in the next episode that I'm not aware of there's like you know half a dozen to a dozen little ships flying around taking pot shots at this huge Cardassian ship and it like changes the scale of the Cardassian ship like you never like we've seen these ships a bunch of times now but you never think about oh yeah that's like a really really big ship like that's almost as big as the entrepreneur and these little hornets are buzzing around it shooting it up yeah they're so maneuverable it's hard to imagine how you would even fight off a group of attackers like this and this cardassian ship uh has not found that way because it is circling the drain (laughs) yeah yeah, and so Picard has this tricky little needle to thread here because he doesn't want to kill a bunch of Federation citizens, but also like uh, like has been has come up before in this season. If he doesn't do something to protect the Cardassians, this treaty could fall apart, and this treaty is here to protect the lives of hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people. I think it's Riker that that says it. I never thought we'd be firing on our own people to protect a Cardassian ship. And my question for you, Ben, is that has the show done enough to make that conflict feel as conflicted as it's been articulated by Will Riker? Like, maybe there's a little more of that over on the other show that's playing at the same time, but at this point, like, I don't feel the conflict. Well, Adam, you're wrong. <laughs> this is uh, this is a totally unusual thing for this show. I mean, the only comparable times like this comes up when Cardassians come up yeah, for this show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 
it's uh you know like this is a this is a show that Gene Roddenberry personally created and the Federation doesn't have infighting in when Gene Roddenberry's hand is on the tiller so this is a very unusual place for them to go and whether or not they've said that explicitly in the past it's like it's unusual by example I should I should say that differently because I think what I really meant is that I mean we know that that boundaries have been redrawn we know there's a treaty here with the Cardassians like I guess I don't feel I don't feel the whole Federation protectiveness over the Cardassians it feels totally duty bound in a way that feels empty like if there's any yeah well I think if we knew like how shitty the war was other than that one time O'Brien said how shitty it was and we just had to take his word for it yeah like preventing that happening again would feel more uh, like an immediate and important motivation we see so much less of the war and so much more of Picard being tortured or Roe telling the story about her dad. Like, those those parts really peg the needle emotionally. And and the war part gets so little, little time that I think that's what I have a hard time with. I'm so sorry, Adam. But we're going to get a big bowl of war coming up in our next show. <laughs> And those uh, some- those flakes aren't getting soggy, Ben. They blow up a bunch of photon torpedoes, like in between the Mayquis and the Cardassian ship. The Mayquis bug out, and they like beam over. Guess who? Gully Vec and all his little buddies. What a coincidence. And, uh, <laughs> the only Cardassian. <laughs> but he's like, hey, like you guys better get your shit straight squared away because if this happens again, we're gonna start to think the Federation is doing this on purpose. Like like our people aren't attacking yours. And Picard is like, What the fuck are you talking about, Evec? Like, you guys attacked a blah 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 freighter last week. Yeah, I feel like they're both pretty clear on what the uh, like the news updates are from the front. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what Avex thinking in terms of like pulling one over on Picard. Also, from my lips to the show's ears, we see a sitting down Cardassian on a bio bed. So <laughs> I guess we see the uh, the V of the uniform does not necessarily plunge directly into the crotch. Well, this is a lady Cardassian that's sitting down though. Yeah. So she doesn't have a a ding dong to to stab. <laughs> right. It's just stab and clip, Ben. <laughs> Adam, the next scene, Admiral Nechev comes aboard because when bad Cardassians are around, you gotta get Nechev involved. A really tan Nechev here. She looks great. She looks she's like a- she's freshly back from a vacation. She spent all her money from that horrible, <laughs> that horrible Native American ordeal with uh, on the on a trip to Hawaii, presumably. Yeah. <laughs> what does she do on Risa? Do you think she's into Jamaharon? You can tell that she's into Jamaharon. She's loosened up so much, Adam. Yeah, she's great. 
She's a welcome she's, character. She's an admiral with a freshly fucked look about her. And <laughs> she says, hey, listen, like, these these makewees are not fucking around. They're extremely fattening. Like, what you saw is the new normal for them. They seem to be preparing for a more aggressive military posture. They're, you know, recruiting. They're getting new ships. They're getting weapons. They're They're interested in making a big problem for everybody. And so, you know, like... We've got this harebrained scheme where we're going to uh, send somebody from the Federation to, like, try and uh, go behind enemy lines and infiltrate a Mayquis cell. And uh, we think we think we know just the Michelle Forbes portrayed character for the job. Pretty great coincidence here that they've got they've got a freshly minted Starfleet soldier to send on this mission. Mm-hmm. When Picard proposes this idea to Roe in her quarters, I think, unlike the Lower Decks episode, where Picard proposes this dangerous mission to a Nagzima girl, <laughs> Starfleet person, like, Picard does not describe the risks involved at all. Yeah, I mean... I guess... It's every bit as dangerous as that mission, though. Is it implied that because she's got this, like, advanced training that she is expecting to be sent on riskier missions? The one emotional note... I love this episode, spoiler alert, but the one note that I think they miss (laughs) here is the idea that Picard sent someone else on a mission very similar to this one, and and that person died. And there right. seems to be no hesitation here in Picard doing it again, which I guess is professional Picard. But also, we know there's an emotional soul in there somewhere. I kind of, yeah, like, it would have been interesting. Like, you could probably have added four lines in the scene with Necheyev and yeah. gotten through that note. And it would have been interesting to get the idea that Necheyev had something to do with that mission also, you know? Right, right. And this is the season where other episodes of the show also happened, so why not? Necheo's just playing a super long game where individual Starfleet uh, people are just sent one by one to on missions <laughs> that they die. Into the meat grinder? Yeah. <laughs> uh, on a long enough timeline, she will rack up as big a body count as Picard. Hmm. Then they'll finally be equals. Yeah. Uh did you notice that uh that in unpacking her suitcase Ensign uh Lieutenant Rowe is using a pelican case with no foam inlays? I love a pelican case, Ben. Terrible suitcase though. Way too heavy. You're gonna wanna get some of those uh little partitions. Like, all yeah. of my Pelican cases have those, like, not the pluck and pull, that stuff's garbage, but the the inset that you can configure yourself. Oh, you go on that website and get the uh, configurable the, inset? I think they're called the, the Terrapax free plug, but yeah, <sighs> I love them. <laughs> You're such a dork. <laughs> She's just pulling, like, sweaters and pairs of shorts for rice trips out of there she doesn't need to get foam inlays 
that feeling though of pulling clothes out of a pelican case is something i know well like when you can only pack so many cases on a fucking (laughs) video trip that well i guess i'm packing clothes into my gear case great (laughs) it's gonna be the audio and underpants bag right sure hope uh the baggage claim doesn't lose this one it has both my camera (laughs) and my underwear in it uh so we cut to a a bar on a planet surface kind of like not a star wars cantina like everybody in here is pretty pretty human or minimal loaf i want to say human adjacent yeah human or human adjacent and uh but it's a it's a bustling it's a bustling spot and when Roe walks in like nobody misses a beat and uh she like sidles up to somebody and then Data and Worf walk in in Starfleet uniforms and every conversation falls silent. We are looking for a Bajoran woman. Dark hair, good tea, nice house. <laughs> the timing on this is a little hilarious because like if the door is automatic door, the sort of automatic door that you'd find at a grocery store, like that that senses you coming up to it, it opens and then it closes. The door doesn't have time to close before Worf and Data are in behind Row. Like, they are right on her ass. Yeah, and they have like a description of who they're looking for. They don't notice the woman having the extended makeout sesh basically four feet from the door. It's interesting seeing Federation people treated like narcs. Like, to see that uniform be regarded negatively is something that I don't know that we've seen too much of on this show. Really interesting to get that role reversal. Because you're on Team Row. Right. And are these Federation citizens that that just happen to be in kind of a shitty part of town? Or like... I mean, like what, like what would breed dissent in a a person who grew up in the Federation but isn't down with it? This felt to me not like like your your description of Star Wars Cantina is apt, as in this is not that. This feels more like a specialized bar or club, like an Eagles or something. Like <laughs> everyone who's there has been vetted somehow. And so these interlopers come in and they are immediately regarded as strangers. Yeah. Like she goes up to the bar and orders a cranberry juice and a guy makes fun of her for ordering a cranberry juice and says that's what his girlfriend drinks when she gets her period. It's a natural diuretic. And she starts beating the shit out of him. <laughs> And then Jack Nicholson and his Irish buddy come out and say, she's not allowed to beat the shit out of that guy. And that's not quite a guy you can't hit, but it's almost a guy you can't hit. Ben, I have no idea what you're talking about. Where did that come from? The Departed? The Departed. Oh, yeah, that was, yeah, the one time. The one time? You only saw The Departed the one time? And then I saw that fucking rat crawl across the, uh, the railing for the final scene and just like, Wanted to throw up in my popcorn. What the fuck, Scorsese? <laughs> it would have been better if Scorsese had like popped in from below frame, looked directly at the camera, and winked. That was terrible. And that's the Oscar. That's the best picture Oscar Scorsese gets. That was fucked. I just really disagree with you on this shitty opinion, Adam. <laughs> you just kept 
talking in one long, incredibly unbroken sentence, moving from topic to topic so that no one had the chance to interrupt. It was really quite hypnotic. hypnotic, hypnotic. Uh, <laughs> well, Data and Worf, like, they kind of, like, walk around and they go, like, we're chasing a Bajoran woman with a bob haircut. She killed a Cardassian. Wasted him. Anyways, if anybody sees him, we're going to leave our business card here on the bar. It'd be great to hear from you guys. Data like, does uh, that loud talk. Like, that's just <laughs> like a couple octaves higher than a normal speaking voice so that everyone yeah. can hear him. We are definitely not making you think that this person killed a Cardassian when really she did not. <laughs> they should have brought in pictures. <laughs> This is what she did to him. Guy at the bar, who we will come to know as Santos, is like, hey, I saw the, uh, I saw a woman fitting that general description. You just missed her. I mean, you guys know how the door was still open when, <laughs> from her coming in when you came in? She was here, hung out for a while, said hi to some people, but she left before you got here. You know how your Federation starship has sensors that can tell what alien is what, depending on... <laughs> on like how hard you scan and how you probably could have scanned this room for you, from your starship and how you would probably know if you had done so if there was a Bajoran in here. Yeah, couldn't you just tricorder and like say everybody Bajoran get in that corner? We're going to know if you're lying. Maybe there's a legal technicality there where they can't just stop and frisk someone in I any, would love in to any know old that. bar. Yeah, I would too. I w- because like, that would totally unwind the uh, the headcanon issues we're having with this. Yeah. Well, anyways, they leave and uh, Roe stops making out with the scruffy dude that she was making out with for like two and a half straight minutes. I love that they call back this guy a little later who has clearly fallen in love with her. Yeah, he's just been thinking about her. Yeah. That's like... Like, one of the great screenwriting tips is, like, every character you write should think that they are the star of the story. Yeah. And this guy clearly thinks he's he's the star <laughs> the star of the story. He doesn't even have any lines, and he's like, he's like, oh, man, I'm going to get that girl one day. To him, it's Chekhov's makeout. <laughs> if you make out in the first act, you're definitely going anal by the third. Ugh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm just judging based on the way the guy looks. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> You're looking at him and you can tell that he likes anal? <laughs> Jesus. It's just my read, buddy. <laughs> you'd be you'd be a hell of a weird TSA agent. <laughs> <laughs> Your additional uh, screening would be fucked up, Ben. <laughs> I'm just trying to give the people what they want. <laughs> Ro is like, thanks for covering for me. Santos is like, no problem. Pew! Totally guns are <laughs> down in the middle of the bar. Yeah. I guess that's the sort of bar where you can get away with something like that. <laughs> there goes Santos stunning a girl and dragging her out of the bar again. <laughs> what a card. That's just He's Santos f- being Santos. Gross. Yeah, like, like, what is that guy's reputation? Like, you just come around the bar and you fucking... Like, every pretty girl that, that you sit next to gets stunned and dragged out of there? 
Yeah, I mean, we don't get the scene where he's like, everybody be cool. <laughs> I do this all the time. I'm Santos. Yeah, like what he needed was uh, what is his redhead friend to come in and be like, this is not what it looks like, people. She's a person of interest to the Mayquise. Mayquise? Not doing anything untoward. We're just gonna we're just gonna scare her and ask her some questions. The show does that fun thing where as soon as she's stunned, it sort of fades out, and then it fades back up, and we find out where she's been. Yeah, she's on a uh, a bare bunk, facing uh, facing Santos, a lady friend, and an old man we'll come to know as Macius. Macquise. And they're they're sort of they're sort of doing that interrogation thing. They've got. They've got backwards-facing chairs. They're giving her the what for about her story. Yeah, really, like formal. Like the they like pull up the chairs and sit down in unison. It's like they've done this before. It's like a ritual almost. This is shot very symmetrically too. Like you're you're over the shoulder on row, uh, seeing the three interrogators, and then you're sort of over the top of Macius. Yeah. It's a it's an intense scene, and um, they're basically trying to get a sense of who she is and what she's about because they are interested in people who are willing to kill Cardassians, and uh, she basically like tells them most of the truth. Like she tells them her backstory, but then says that she left the she left Starfleet after a while because she didn't like you know. She didn't like uh, working for people who were collaborating with the Cardassians or whatever. I lost my temper and I took a knife and I, uh... You know those little do not remove under the penalty of law labels they put on mattresses? Yeah. Well, I cut one of them off. What's great about Roe is, like, she's not acting when she doesn't want to answer any more questions. Like, that's not hard for her to be like, you know? Yeah, she's like, "Stop asking me questions. I um, I've told you my story. Fuck off." <laughs> like that doesn't seem like an act. No, no, and um, and yeah, like this is such an interesting kind of acting because it's like it's like the actor acting the way the character would act. Right. It's meta, meta acting, it's me- meta acting. But uh, she definitely gets to a place of tentative trust with Macius and his lackeys pretty quickly. Like they're, they're like, okay, we're going to go check that out. Uh, you know, if, uh, if we like what we hear, y- you can join up with us. We're the Mayquise. Yeah. Macius remains behind while, uh, Santos and the lady take off to do some research. Old man Macius has the confidence of a man who's killed a lot of people. Like, <laughs> like I know the read is supposed to be folksy and trusting, but if you are the leader or one of the leaders of, like, a rebel group, you don't get to be in a position of power unless you've killed a lot. And when he sets the pistol down and walks Ro out of the room, like, that read to me is, like, this guy's super nice and everything, but, like, he has killed... Thousands. Aren't you taking a chance by letting me see all of this? What if my story doesn't check out? What if I'm not who I say I am? Well, then we'll have a problem, won't we? <laughs> I also, and he's human, right? Yeah. 
I was also kind of like he's human. He's human with kind of like a Bajoran fetish. Like he's got he's got a lot of like Bajoran likes. He likes Bajoran food and Bajoran music and stuff. He only watches Bajoran porn. Yeah, yeah. Like like specifically white guys fucking Bajoran girls. He really likes those dark nipples. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> I couldn't even get that out without laughing. <laughs> Uh, I also thought about the fact that, like, I couldn't think of a lot of, like, rebel movements that I've seen on television that didn't have, like, white older men leading them. Anytime, like, a a rebellion has, like, a kind of sympatheticness to it, uh, I feel like there's a guy like this at the top of it, and... There is most of the time, except for the the newest Star Wars movie had Leia in that in that role, which was nice to see. Yeah, and and it was like like people were like, well, you know, like why do all the girls have all the jobs now? <laughs> when that uh, when that movie came out, yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. It's like it's it's a weird it's a weird thing, and it made me think about the like. Like, maybe this guy is, like, a stone-cold killer who's killed thousands, but maybe he's just a mediocre white guy with all the self-confidence that that entails. The thing is, though, like, Roe is all... The one thing Roe is looking for is her dad, like, in all cases. Yeah. And Macius is another dad, almost immediately. Like, because as much as he wants to be to her, she needs him to be. He plays that role, and I, I wondered if the design of the character was that he was playing that consciously or if they just yeah. got you know got along really well and like is he is he kind of playing that up so that he can he can like kind of tug at her heartstrings i don't know i mean it tugs at my heartstrings when i watch this episode <laughs> because it's super effective he does that thing that is a shortcut to friendship for a lot of people which is like he goes straight for food. And yeah. I I really love this next scene between Roe and Macius because he's like, hey, you want a bite to eat? Are you hungry? She's like, no. Macius is like, I just love Hasbrot. Hasbrot, most people hate the high roller, but I love the high roller. I eat it all the time. The spicier, the better. And they totally bond over this weird food item in a way that that just feels real and good in a way that I've bonded with, with new friends many times before. Like food is a great entry point. It really turned me off Adam because the second, the second he showed the side of this thing and I realized what it was, was a cold wrap. <laughs> I know. Look, uh, we know your feelings on wraps, Ben. Fucking wraps. The worst food. If I saw somebody replicate that, I would flip their fucking tray. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you. You telling me this thing can make a burrito and you've instead made a cold wrap? Give me a break. I'm beginning to doubt your leadership qualities. <laughs> Masius, you're a monster. <laughs> but so they've got like uh they 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 develop some some more information on Roe, and they like her story pretty much checks out. Like Santos has peeps in the Federation, I guess, and can and can corroborate what she's told them, which I guess means that the people that Santos has in the Federation feeding him information are 
double agents, right? You will not ever know the identity of undercover people. Unfortunately, this shithole has more fucking leaks than the Iraqi Navy. He checked her story and it checked out, which means whoever he's talking to in the Federation is giving him a false story. That's the only way that this whole thing holds together. Yeah, that, which is really interesting. Like, the Federation really has all the cards at this point. They do, which is which is sort of one of the ways that I feel like the Federation's desperation in this episode rings as a little hollow. They really need this to work out. And they are willing to go all the way to the end to make it happen. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm not much of a, I'm not great at remembering what I have read about history, but mm-hmm. it kind of, uh, like, the the Maquis kind of feel more like the Black Panthers to me than, you know, Al-Qaeda or something. Like, they're, they have, like, a a just cause and, like, are going about, pursuing it in a way that the people in power don't like for reasons other than means and methods. It's like, it seems like, it seems like the Maquis are, are being fucked with for totally arbitrary reasons, which kind of makes, kind of paints the Federation as the bad guys. I mean, I sort of got the vibes that this was an Israel Palestine metaphor but I don't know that any reference to that could remain in the show. Unforge. In that in that case is are the Maki Israel and No, I was thinking Palestine the Fed, the Federation would be Israel and the and the Maki in support of the people who want settlements on Cardassian controlled planets would be Palestine. Oh that's interesting. Like the kind of they kind of like, uh, well, like because they want to remain, right? They want to, right. they want to live and be free. Yeah, I mean, it's it's got a lot of valences, but like the way like the Federation starts this episode. I mean, we're like at the halfway point in the plot, even though we're super long into this episode <laughs> at this point. Uh, and and the Federation still has all the cards. And uh, spoiler alert: they fuck this up royally. <laughs> Yeah, they really do. My love is a peep of longing tail for that which longer nurseth the disease. The Maquis are interested in stopping the Cardassians from deploying a metagenic weapon, is that right? I am not familiar with metagenics. No, that's that's true. They're they're getting wind of of this weapons of the Cardassians attempting to either marshal this weapon's power or create the weapon out of disparate parts right so so Roe is like well let me take a ship and I'm going to go get us some supplies off of the flagship I know all of their security systems I know that their chief of security is terrible at his job we'll slip in totally undetected I know those guys who work in the nacelle they never look out the window there's like (laughs) three people that work in each nacelle like and they're super busy so not a problem. And they're like, yeah, right. Like, especially uh, the redhead. She's like, I don't trust you. She's, she's like, I'm going to come with you. And Rose like, fine, come with me. I want you to see this. <laughs> Look at it. 
<laughs> Look at me do this. Look at me during. <laughs> Say my name. <laughs> the uh, So they, they embark on this plan where they kind of like poke through the... Uh, the shields of the entrepreneur with the ship and they like come in in between the nacelles and they beam medical supplies off the ship and like up on the bridge Worf and Data are like relaying everything that's happening to the captain and he's like uh that's got to be Roe and uh they get like a carrier signal on the like scrambler frequency she's using Picard's and, uh, very like, comfortable with another ship being in between his nacelles yeah, surprisingly comfortable for a man of his uh, of his age, uh, but uh, yeah, they're like, okay, well, I guess we better make this look good. So they like lick a couple of shots in the atmosphere, and yeah, like Rose's ship makes it out, and we cut to the Maki outpost, and like she's she's there bragging about the about the thing, and the redhead is like, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty cool, like I. I thought she was nuts, but this totally worked out great. She knew exactly what she was doing. Well done. What Michelle Forbes does here during this scene is like is like peak Michelle Forbes, right? Because <laughs> the camera is drawn to her face and what she's doing in sort of accepting the praise from a group of people that she's worked so hard to earn. But if you look at her hands, she's sort of like playing with the railing that she's leaning against. And I think this is so, this is such like second level shit that she does that I just love. Like she's all over the margins of what her character's doing. Like she's clearly like nervous, but like, but she's like doing stuff that she doesn't have to do. And this is one of, this is one of those examples for her. Like I love this scene for that reason. It is so you to notice Michelle Forbes playing with a rail, Adam. (laughs) I just love Michelle Forbes, man. Can a man <laughs> love Michelle Forbes and her work? Yeah, he can. Um, so they like they really like take the uh, the shackles off of her at this point. Like they give her a ship. She flies back to the entrepreneur and she talks to Picard one on one. She's like, "Yeah, this is great. Like I totally have their trust. The guy's really like wrapped around my little finger. Uh, this is going good." And he's like. He's like, that's fucking great. Now we've got them where they where we want them. We can really kick the Maquis in the dick now. And it's very clear in this scene that she's starting to not feel great about the the plan. I love that this scene is shot sort of in the dark in the observation lounge, like adding credence to the idea that this is like a conversation on the lowdown. Yeah, they're kind of speaking in hushed tones and... The, uh, it's sort of like yeah. a secret McLaughlin group. Issue one. Yeah. Well, uh, unaired episode of the McLaughlin group. John McLaughlin's <laughs> like, issue one. <laughs> <laughs> Roe Laren at this point is like, whatever weird feelings I may have about this mission, I can put them aside. I will... I will complete the mission as prescribed. Like, she goes as far as to say that. Picard's like, it seems like you're having doubts. She's like, uh, I mean, you might be right, but that's not going to stop me. Interesting choice there that she takes as a character. She does not deny her doubts. She just underscores that she will not listen to them. 
Don't you feel like the second half of this episode is like twice as plot dense as the first half? Well, I hope not, because because <laughs> this this could be the record for a length of episode if it's true. Yeah. Well, so she goes back and she's like, so the the idea that he gives her is like we're gonna we're gonna tell him this metagenic weapon thing is real. We're gonna give him a convoy to hit. They're gonna they're gonna devote everything they've got to taking this convoy out. And we'll have them all in one easy you know shooting alley. And uh, we'll just take them all out at once. You know, clean up our garbage. Our treaty can go forward just fine. And so she goes back and she's like, she's like explaining this to them. And she's having like connection with Macius. And some some monks are walking around in the camp. It's not really a camp. It's like a city. Yeah, it feels like a town square, but a fairly developed town square as Star Trek goes. Yeah. Lots of extras. These monks go up to uh, the second floor and just start shooting people. <laughs> it's like, this is the worst plan. There's just three guys, and they're just up there shooting everybody. And, you know, like five or ten people go down, but then the Maquis regroup and distribute guns and all of the Cardassians get shot. The question I have for you at this point is... What if these Cardassians were terrorists? What if they were the Cardassian equivalent of the Maquis on that side? Like, I mean, they kind of are, right? Like, that's not a that's not a like a tactic that you can use in a justifiable way in a war. That's what I'm saying. Like, but we they're either get, spies or terrorists. We get no outside of their actions defining them. We get no confirmation of this, and so it just seems like on a very uh, on a very superficial level that they might just be what Cardassians do. Yeah, I mean, it it would either raise a question or further confirm that maybe the Federation has this one wrong. You know, the reason that I asked was because this is information that would be useful for Roe to take back to Picard. Like, and this is never a piece of information that is shared with him. Yeah, like the next scene is them basically making out in a bar, Picard and Roe. Like, they they have, like, an information exchange under the guise of him negotiating for professional sex with her. Ben, we should and, probably say that Macius dies in this attack. And this is... Oh yeah. Macius dies in this attack in... RSVP Macius. <laughs> and Roe, after having bonded with him, has now lost two fathers. She takes this incredibly hard. This is the moment where she breaks. Yeah, and he, like, says, you know, you're all, it's, it's all good. Like, I can go now because now you're here and you can finish the, the project I started. Yeah. The the so, baton has been passed. Yeah. That's something she is liable to take lightly. <laughs> so she uh, explains to Picard that the Maquis are not crazy about the idea of devoting everything they've got to the project of stopping this convoy. And 
And he's like, well, like, that's cool. We can, like, pare down the size of the convoy till it gets to a size where they can devote everything they've got. And she's like, that's just not how, not how everybody's thinking about it, man. And he's like, well, what's your deal? Like, where, where are you at right now? Because I really want to make sure that you're going to do the thing that you're here to do. Because if you back out now, like, everything you've worked for is fucked. We're fucked. The Federation is fucked. Like, everything is fucked, man. Picard makes a terrible error here because, you know, for a long time, Picard has taken a paternal tact with Roe. And at this moment, he's like, hey, hey, bud, are you okay? And then immediately (laughs) pivots into don't throw away your career. And then a line later doubles down into I'll fucking court-martial you if you fuck this up. Like... Like, I'll court-martial you, you'll be brought up on charges, don't throw away your career. And not only that, like, maybe I'll just stick Riker on you to make sure that things go according to plan. Like, he does not give her any room to breathe, and I feel like Picard makes the decision for Roe at this point. Yeah, bad management, Picard. Yeah. It's such a wild scene because he's issuing these fucking threats, and, like, she's, like, you know, rubbing his... It's so intimate. finger on his ear and, like, and like touching his neck and stuff. They're going head-to-head, like, forehead touching. Yeah. It is so intimate for how, for how heady... Not for how heady. I don't want to say that. It's They're so, at loggerheads and head-to-head, Adam. <laughs> it's really... There's a lot of uh, intimacy for how much conflict there is. It's a great scene. So he's yeah, and and he announces that Riker's going with her to basically keep an eye on her, which is a bit convenient given the fact that she was subjected to quite a bit of scrutiny by the Maquis. I mean, I guess they can make a fake Bajoran identity for Riker, but it seems like something that would be tricky to arrange on such short notice. Riker's seeing an opportunity to fuck in a previa and also wear his Rolf from the Muppet Show costume. (laughs) 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 Nothing I love more than playing the (laughs) controls of this previa. (laughs) (laughs) It's like they skinned Rolf. (laughs) Oh... RSVP Rolf. <laughs> I am the cute as a ball. You will assist us. I am the cute as a ball. You are ball. So the plan is the like good guys are gonna hide in a nebula and this decoy Cardassian convoy is gonna come through uh with all these uh metagenic weapons or, or so the Maquis think. Yeah. And the Maquis are gonna come out of the demilitarized zone and start their attack and they'll be set upon by federation ships and they won't be able to get away so um that's the plan but roe knows all about it so they are like lining up for their attack run and she like puts the the prev in neutral what the and everybody's like what are you doing roe and she's like i'm sorry I can't let this happen. She grabs a dustbuster, points it at Riker, says that she's having second thoughts. He can go back. Uh, he can go back with his little buddies on the Entrepreneur, but she's going with the Maquis. 
and then she initiates a beam into the nebula that like polarizes all of the particles in it and reveals the ships to the Maquis who see that it's a trap. I see it. And they bug out. They beam row out on their way. It's probably like Santos was doing just fine performance wise. And then this scene like is just not up to the task of playing to radio. Yeah. Squad leader to all ships. Abort the mission. Repeat. Abort the mission. Like don't cast this guy in your green screen summer blockbuster action movie. (laughs) He's not going to be able to do it. There's a really good scene here between Riker and Roe before she beams off where Roe can barely look at Riker during this as she beams away. She's like, just tell, just give Picard a message that I'm really sorry I had to do this. And this is a scene that makes me think that like Roe really had a ton of fathers because Riker might have been one to her too. Riker doesn't attempt to Star Trek fight her into submission. Riker lets her go because I think he loves her too. And he understands in a weird way. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about this episode is like the the cause that the Maquis are pursuing from the 10,000 foot view looks dangerous and like madness. But when you get down into their level it seems like the only thing that they possibly can do and that's a really powerful bit of writing and i think that Riker getting to see it from both sides uh really affects the way he plays this yeah i mean he's as hurt as anyone but he understands also i don't know i i think the Riker rolaren relationship did not get a ton of screen time, but what's there is just really strong stuff. Yeah. He uh, has a very dejected final scene where he kind of transmits the information he got from Roe to Picard and, like, you know, he hasn't drops ba- the bothered to take off the Rolf costume in the no. ready room. He looks a little out of place there. When you've been tickling the ivories as long as I have. You've seen a broken heart for every drop of rain, a shattered dream for every fallen star. Exactly. She just walked out on me. And Picard is just, like, stone-faced. Like, he does not speak. He doesn't doesn't make even a gesture of response to Riker, and the camera moves around his face, and he just looks fucking ripshit pissed. Like, this is like a colossal failure uh in in captaining that he has just gone through and uh like he doesn't he doesn't say anything it just fades to black this is excellence in directing to me because i imagine what's on the page is picard looks double crossed or something to that effect like what could possibly be on the page that looks like what we see at the end like this is all direction and it's fucking great it's really good. This is a look on Picard's face that he's never had in the entire series. Like, he doesn't look this upset after Best of Both Worlds Part 2. <laughs> and they do him a great service by not playing that fucking stupid single brass instrument of disappointment here. Like, they just let him eat it. 
without yeah. the music. They really like slam the door shut on the Rose story here. Yeah. Yeah. Did you like this episode, Ben? I really did. I think um for the kind of a couple of like hand wavy excusey things that the script does to get past shit that doesn't make any sense. This is a brilliantly directed episode, brilliantly acted episode. I would have felt so bad not to get one more Ensign Row. Yeah. Like I am really glad she got her, her last bottle because she's the most interesting character in the show in a lot of ways. I totally agree. I mean, Everyone on the senior staff, you could just call nice. Nice and easy to get along with. Even Worf. Even Data. <laughs> but, like, Roe is the outlier. Roe is the one... Roe is like the blowfish, right? She's she's pointy and sharp, and she's hard to love. But that, to me, made her the most real feeling. And, God, I wish they were able to lock michelle forbes up for more of a run on this show because i think she does great work with this character yeah i wish she'd i wish as a maquis she had popped up on deep space nine too like i was thinking how interesting it would be if she had had like a kind of an arch villain role on deep space nine she was supposed to be kira narice she was supposed to be on that show but uh they couldn't they couldn't make it happen contractually well I like the uh, I like Nana Visitor, but uh, it's a it's a shame because Michelle Forbes chose a sex vampire show. Yeah, I guess that's well, what you, you got to do. Got to go with that sex vampire show. Guess so. Uh, uh, speaking of sex vampires, Ben, you want to see if we have any <laughs> priority one messages? Yeah, I hope. Uh, I mean, like at least fifty percent of our viewership are sex vampires, so <laughs> chances are good that one of these will be from one of them. Shout out to everyone listening to our show during a blood orgy. <laughs> Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a couple of Priority One messages here. The first one is of a commercial nature. Hey! And it goes like this. It's Just a Show is a Mystery Science Theater 3000 podcast hosted by two Greatest Gen fans that goes in-depth on MST3K without getting all mission log about it. Learn of of movies so bad they're not on Mount Armas, they're oil deposits under Mount Armas. Learn of highly evolved beings like super spy Bart Fargo, horny teenage cavemen like Ega, and Mr. B. Natural, a dowd light, who gives the gift of music to not 100 children or 1,000, but all children everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Knew your father I did. (laughs) Uh, I don't know what that last bit is. I guess guess that's a a Yoda quote. (laughs) Uh, So check out new episodes every other week at itsjustashow.com or wherever pods are cast. Hey, doesn't uh, doesn't one of our friends of the podcast write for that show, that new MST3K show? Uh, yeah, Elliot Kalen, the uh, 
one of the three co-hosts of the Flap House was the uh, head writer of MS3, MST3K. Hell yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, and I, I really enjoyed the new series. I, I, that was kind of my first time enjoying MST3K. So, uh, I used to watch that show uh, on Comedy Central a lot back when it was playing in regular rotation there. Yeah. You must have had cable as a kid. I was Lucky a cable you. kid. I was a latchkey cable kid. <laughs> do we have any other P1s? Sure do, Ben. Our uh, second priority one message is of a personal nature. It is from your carbon-based life form parental units. It is for <laughs> Sam Cherry. Message goes like this. So glad we found this podcast on time to go see the tour in Toronto. May the fun live long and prosper. Never stop looking for Shimodas. <laughs> Fun. So glad you were at that Toronto show. Yeah. Sam and parents. Toronto, is... home of secretly the best fried chicken I've ever had. Yeah. God. Still what thinking that... about that fried chicken bit. Do we remember what that place is called? The fried chicken place? Yeah. I can't remember. It was right across the street from the Great Hall. Our good buddy used to work at this uh, bar slash fried chickenery. Uh, that place is called Bar Fancy. Bar Fancy. Yeah. Oh man. Official Toronto bar of the greatest generation. With no joke, I seriously think the best fried chicken I've ever had in my life. Not to be confused with Barf Fancy, <laughs> which is when I throw up because I'm so nervous about something. When I'm throwing up before doing a live podcast in Toronto. <laughs> yeah, we well, were told if, that uh, we were told that the Toronto crowd was a crowd to be feared. That Toronto folks go out to shows and show very limited amounts of love, and we found much the opposite. We had a great time at that Toronto show. That Toronto crowd showed love to us, showed love to each other. There's a lot of love to go around at that one. Yeah, really showed love fun. to the back of each other's throats. Any form of licking. <laughs> yeah, I guess he had to be there. <laughs> well, if you'd like to uh, lick the back of someone else's throat uh, through the purchase of a Priority One message, you can do that by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where personal throat licks are $100 and commercial throat licks are 200 They're a great, great way to support the ongoing production of our program and lick someone's throat. <laughs> a good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES.
You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I did. I kind of spoiled this already, but... uh, you know, the the main criterion for Drunk Shimoda is the, is the character having the most fun. And guy who didn't get any lines but got to smooch Michelle Forbes <laughs> is definitely having the most fun. And, yeah, like, like the fact that his character gets to come back is hilarious. Uh, <laughs> great, a great bit of direction. Like, I mean, I'm sure it was like, Oh yeah, we're gonna just shoot all these bar scenes in you know one or two days, and uh, might as well keep that guy around. It'd be funny if he just like if you know we can just throw in a little moment of that. But uh, it was it was top tier, and uh, and he 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 really uh, did a nice job with that little part. That 
that's the point though is like it could have so easily been thrown away but instead it was included and that makes me appreciate it so much more it's just a fucking tiny moment that means everything i loved it it makes it it makes the world feel 10 times more real yeah yeah that poor guy (laughs) (laughs) it me (laughs) yeah no kidding (laughs) did you have a drunk shimoda adam yeah, but I went in the stupid direction. Santos, during the terrorist attack, decides to take cover behind a single branch. <laughs> <laughs> Santos, totally misjudging the amount of cover that one single branch gives him uh, in this phaser fire. Look, setting aside the idea that he, if he hid behind a tree, the phaser would probably cut through the tree. Like, yeah. Santos, come on, man. Like, there, there is a place to duck and cover at every turn. This place is basically made out of concrete, and he chooses the branch. <laughs> come on, Santos. Didn't notice that. That's give not a, a great choice, Santos. That's give why me a he, fucking that's, break. That's why Roe is getting advanced in the organization a lot quicker than you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Roe knows what to hide behind. <laughs> so, Santos, you got my drunk Shimoda. Hey, Ben, what do we have coming up on the next and final episode? The next episode is Season 7, Episode 25, All Good Things. Picard finds himself traveling between the past, present, and future while attempting to prevent the destruction of humanity by his own actions. Do you remember this episode, Adam? It sort of gives me the chills to hear you read that capsule because I really can't believe we're here. Like, we actually did it, dude. <laughs> Two a week. Don't count your chickens, Adam. <laughs> Almost, One more to record. We barely got this episode recorded. <laughs> Almost two years of work. Like, we finally made it, man. I'm really excited to talk about this episode. One of the best. One I wish the... I could kiss you on the mouth right now, buddy. <laughs> Really give me the Beverly treatment, huh? Yeah. (laughs) One of the best episodes of the series and one of the best finales of any television series. Yeah. Uh, I remember it as a finale that knew, like, exactly how sentimental to be about the journey we've been on with the characters. Yeah. This show occasionally really, like... It stopped being super cheesy in the first three seasons, and it doesn't go cheese for the finale, but it, it like, plucks all the heartstrings at the end. Yeah. I really, it is an emotionally heavy end to this series, and it's great and appropriate and good. I can't wait to talk about it with you. Can't wait, buddy. Yeah. Our listeners are delightful people to interact with online. We know because we do it. Every week, we use the hashtag GreatestGen to talk about the show. Adam is on Twitter at CutForTime, and I'm on there as at BenjaminR, A-H-R. We also have great Facebook, Reddit groups. We've got, uh, there's like PlayStation groups. I think there's a Kiva group where they're doing micro-lending uh, <laughs> as a, as a, as a GreatestGen team. That's so amazing. many amazing things have co- come to pass because of this show, and it's all like 100% the doing of... Uh, the people who wanted to make a community around it. That is not something Adam and I had any 
real active part in. It's just uh, it's just cool people being cool with each other, and uh, we really appreciate it. If you have an interest, odds are there are other people who listen to this show who have that interest too. One of the great parts of doing this show has has been seeing the community build itself up around it. It's amazing. Another another great part of the show has been getting to hear the music of Dark Materia twice a week every week for two years. And uh, also get, getting to know Adam Ragusia, who's made a ton of custom music for the show. Uh, you hear that music all through this damn thing at this point. Uh, all along the way, your support for the show has meant everything to us. Uh, if you would like to support the show for what it's given you up until now, and for what it will do in the future, you can go to MaximumFun.org donate. Yeah, and uh, MaximumFun.org is a great, great podcast network. So if you are worried about losing a, a moment of your week that you spend with Greatest Gen, uh, I highly encourage you to check out some of the other shows on the network. They're really fabulous, and there's really something for everybody uh, on this network. It's just a bunch of really good-hearted, honest people that make funny and amazing shows. It's the truth. They're, uh, so, they're great people that we meet every year at Max Phone Con. Yep. Great, great peeps. So with that, we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and an episode of The Greatest Generation that has a really surprising white streak in its hair. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.